There's one issue sure to trigger, at least among some Western elites, what the Bible calls the gnashing of teeth and the rending of garments. It's the apparent assault on liberalism by populists from the right and the left. But liberalism, or or some variant of it, has dominated Western politics since World War II, so why is it so vulnerable? Alexander Stern is from the left-leaning Catholic magazine Commonweal. He wonders if liberalism is always the natural partner of democracy, and he worries that sometimes it's rather elitist. Liberalism has meant many different things over the years. Two kind of main threads that I wanted to distinguish in the essay and talk a bit about why one was being privileged over the others. The first thread would be liberalism is about protecting individual rights including the freedom of speech, the freedom of association, freedom of religion. So that's kind of the core of liberalism. And I think that's the core that authors like Fukuyama and Yasha Munk focus on. But there's also a tradition in liberalism that is not just about defending those freedoms, but about expanding individual freedoms into other areas. So for example, the freedom from want is something that FDR talked about, which would require kind of having access to healthy food, which a lot of people, even in our wealth, the American society don't have, or expanding access to reliable housing or health care. So these are more egalitarian freedoms. They would also include having the right to self-determination or to have real meaningful impact on the way that you're being governed. And I don't think that for their part, what I call the centrist defenders of liberalism focus enough on those latter set of freedoms. If you like, on those social democratic elements of, of liberalism. Yes, that would be a good way to put it. Liberalism, though, did look pretty arrogant for a while, almost for a good 20 years after the fall of the Berlin Wall, didn't it? Yes. I mean, I think in that period, the kind of end of history period, to borrow Fukuyama's phrase, there was this sense a kind of Cold War version of liberalism had clearly won out and that it was the only kind of viable ideology, the only way to run a society that made any sense and that kind of eventually other societies that hadn't yet embraced it, like China, would eventually come around. And so the whole post-war period, that whole Clinton era, was about bringing those other countries into the fold. And I think we've seen pretty clearly that liberalism as the sort of Cold War liberals conceive of it is not the only option. And then China has been able to integrate itself into the world economy without adopting the kind of liberal democracy that the West and the US favours. One of the things that I found most compelling about your essay is that you raise this difficult question for today's liberalism. Is it tinged with its own anti-democratic tendencies? I think it is. There's sort of an understandable tendency to privilege a kind of liberalism that is relatively insulated from democracy because democracy is viewed as, to put it bluntly, a kind of danger, especially in the aftermath of Trump's election. I think a lot of centrist liberals have the attitude, implicit or explicitly, that part of the problem is an excess of democracy Hmm. and that what's really needed is to kind of double down on rule by experts, 
by the people who actually know what's going on. And obviously, we'll still have elections and things like that. But we have to insulate some of the operations of government from direct democracy or from democratic elections that, you know, might not produce the results that those people are interested in. Well, I do remember the gnashing of teeth after not only Donald Trump, but Brexit. I mean, should we sack the people? The people aren't reliable. They don't elect reliable politicians. That seemed to be some of the sentiment. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. And I think there's a deference to expert opinion over the opinion of the people that is also, I think, worrisome. It calls to mind a vision of liberal democracy that privileges one class over another and assumes that the best decisions will come from an elite that is in the know. To some extent, that means that the people themselves will be not definitively sort of removed from the decision-making process, but sidelined from it. You raise this very interesting question. Are liberalism and democracy inseparable? Yeah, and I think that a question that is heavily dependent on the historical context that you're talking about. So I mentioned, and I think Yasha Monk mentions these examples in his book, societies that have promoted liberal ideals without having really robust democracies. One example of that would be Hong Kong under British rule. But the way that liberalism has developed and was instrumental in the founding of the American state, I think it's clear that there was intertwining of democracy and liberalism that prevents the complete conceptual distinction between them that Monk makes at points, makes that kind of unsustainable. So for example, American liberalism has at least traditionally seen the possibility of a liberal society as requiring a certain measure of egalitarianism and democracy that wouldn't admit of kind of completely separating them. We have this variation though, Alex, uh, now called neoliberalism, which primarily refers to an economic system, free markets, low taxation, low protections for workers and consumers and the environment. Where does this neoliberalism fit with democracy? Neoliberalism, and I think closely connected to that would be globalization, have privileged economic freedoms, especially of large corporations, over the more egalitarian or democratic freedoms of individual citizens. They have created, Quinn Slobodian refers to this as kind of a government of the economy that exists in some sense independently of national governments and produces policy and decisions that ordinary people rightly feel detached from and unable to affect. Those policies have, especially since 2008 or in 2008, produced pretty negative outcomes for ordinary people. Yeah, it strikes me that there's a good example because we're now sort of 50 years on from it and that was the coup against Allende in Chile that Milton Friedman, the celebrated free market economist, really needed a a very interesting laboratory for his free market ideas and it happened to be Chile under Pinochet who was a very brutal military dictator, no democracy there. To what extent, Alex, do some forms of liberalism, some forms rely on an absence or a weak democracy? That's a good question. So I think the example that you gave there and and some other examples, countries like Singapore, there is a, I wouldn't call it liberalism necessarily, but maybe neoliberalism is a better term, a kind of neoliberal ideology that does 
view control of the economy at the very least as something that's outside the purview of democratic control for people in that given nation state. Globalization has been a kind of avenue for this establishment of an economic form of governance that does require unfettered control by a set of experts or elite policymakers. Certainly systems and international organizations have been set up such that they will be insulated from the kind of democratic control that might, from their perspective, distort markets. Now, we've been talking primarily about political philosophy, but there is a profoundly religious aspect to this question, because what do you say are some of the alternative religious teachings, Catholic teachings, that are neither technocratic liberalism nor populism? There's a tradition in Catholic social teaching that goes back to authors like G.K. Chesterton that advocates for a wider distribution of property and power in liberal societies. Those ideas, including some other ideas that are related, are important to bring back into our public discussion. Distributism, which would remain broadly capitalist, but would distribute capital ownership downward through common ownership structures, co-ops, a number of more contemporary Contemporary authors, Franco Milanovic is one, have picked up on that idea. Also, other forms of democracy that might be worth exploring. Michael Lind has talked about wage boards, which would delegate rulemaking power to groups in which workers and other stakeholders are given or guaranteed representation. So there's a number of ways I think we can create new institutions and new levers of power for ordinary people that will distribute power downward in the society and that would, in my opinion, expand the notion of liberalism beyond this kind of very limited notion of liberalism that I think the centrist defenders that I'm talking about are focused on. Alex Stern of Commonweal Magazine, and there's a link to his article at our website, and that is the show you can find us at the ABC Listen app. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.